Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> or uh, I guess it's afternoon in, in uh, Italy by now, but we are both in California, early morning. Um, so we will be talking about um, the changes in, in uh, sustainability reporting and communication and, and the future needs of sustainability for the wine industry in this talk. And uh, my name is Erica. Erica Loving. Um, I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer of Vintage Wine Estates uh, in California. I have presented at Wine to Wine before as a Swedish wine journalist uh, specialized in sustainability, but now I have moved over here and I'm working on the operative side. Uh, Vintage Wine Estates is a publicly listed company. We're on NASDAQ uh, under the particular BWE, and we've been only listed for six months. We have about 14 wineries and 50, around 50 brands. Changes, changes a little. Uh, and I'm the first sustainability officer for the company. So my job is reporting sustainability to the financial markets, uh, reporting uh, sustainability to our board and the corporate side, but also uh, the strategy of sustainability for the company overall, the certifications, uh, the technology implementation, and, and so on. Um, and Laura almost needs no introduction, but I will let you introduce yourself. <laughs> so, hello, hello, everybody. Ciao. Uh, so, uh, I am Laura Gatina, Managing Director of uh, Bodega Gatina Zapata in Mendoza, Argentina, and also the founder of the Gatina Institute of Wine. And it's very exciting to be here uh, with presenting with Erica because, you know, sustainability is something very, very dear uh, to me. It's, uh, you know, the sine qua non of the future. And uh, at Catena, about 15 years ago, we realized that there was no sustainability code for Argentina. And we actually went out uh, to study all the sustainability codes uh, from around Europe, uh, United States, Australia, Chile. And we came up with a code that uh, we later realized if we're the only ones using this code. What's the use of that? And we actually worked with some uh, other wineries in Argentina and an organization of uh, wineries, Bodegas Argentina, 
to create a code that can be used by all and today is being used by uh, hundreds of wineries in Argentina. So it's fantastic to be here today. And I know one of the things that we've been asked to talk about is the sustainability roundtable, which is a group of wineries, uh, retailers, you know, there's, uh, you know, monopolies uh, from Sweden is on it. Uh, so you go from producer uh, and they want, uh, and they have small and large producers, uh, organic, not organic producers, uh, big retailers, small retailers, buyers, uh, for us to get together and figure out a way uh, to create a, a international applicable sustainability code. And, and this is a very exciting group that both Erica and I are part of. And, uh, but the problem is that the task is so big. I wonder if we will accomplish it. Erica, do you want to make some comments about why you have joined the group and, and what you think they can do? Yeah, as um, I was very excited that this group um, was was founded. It's a nonprofit out of the UK, Sustainable Wine Roundtable, or uh, SWR is the short. And Vintage joined it as a founding member, just like Katena uh, did. And it's about 50, 50 founding members. Uh, we launched, or the, the roundtable launched publicly about a month ago and will be open to um, general membership from from 2022, but I've worked with um, with uh, evaluating certifications for the Swedish monopoly for Systembolaget before, and the complexity of, of all these programs. I mean, I, I love that you have the Argentine program. There are some great programs around the world. There are some slightly weaker programs uh, as well, but. The problem is for the consumer. I mean, both for the consumer and sometimes for for the group. We are, as I said, we are um, fourteen wineries. We are we have wineries that are live certified, uh, SIP certified, uh, California Sustainable uh, Wine Growers Alliance certified, and then you know there's uh, an organic vineyard here and there. There's there's all these uh, programs. We have Napa Green, Fish Friendly Farming. It just it becomes too complex. It becomes too complex for us, and even. Me as a uh, expert on on sustainability in wine, and with you know extra depth on um, certifications. If you woke me up in the middle of the night and said, "Which one's better at water? Which one's better at packaging? Which one even includes packaging?" I can't. I couldn't tell you. It's and it becomes impossible almost for the buyers and the consumers to know which certifications are credible. Is this truly a sustainable wine that I'm that I'm buying? And I think we need to um, we need to streamline that. We need to to look at um, you know coffee, uh, bananas, chocolate, palm oil, the other uh, areas where where they've they've learned to develop an international uh, code. It will it will improve things for the. Um, um, for, for the industry, for, for understanding and communication. And I mean, I even, I have to report according to other frameworks as well. Um, we will be reporting to the financial markets according to uh, something called SASB, and they will have other me metrics than our, our sustainability code. So I'm very excited about this uh, sustainable wine roundtable and what we can get out of it. Yeah. And I think that what the good thing about this roundtable is that it has players from you know, viticulture, winemaking, to selling wine, buying wine. Uh, and there will be these task forces, these groups working on different topics. 
but yeah. you were just mentioning uh, that you have to report in on the business side and the financial side. And uh, I want to tell a story uh, I, about talking to financial people about sustainability. I was in, in a conference that uh, was uh, um, done by Stanford University. I went to medical school there and I was the only doctor, winemaker. Everybody else was on the business side. And when we were talking about metrics, you know, I thought we were talking completely different uh, languages because they were talking about money and, you know, some number that meant that you were more or less sustainable. And then when I started talking about, well, what are we doing about the glacier water? How are we storing water so that we have more water because there's less water? How are we taking the care of the people in the countryside who are leaving to the cities because they're looking for a different kind of life because of climate change? You know, what are we doing about biodiversity? And I was speaking about this and I realized that everybody else in the audience, uh, and it was a group of maybe about 20 people, was speaking a different language. Everything I said did not mean something to them because it was not, you know, in a dollar number. And and I hope that the sustainability roundtable will look into, you know, how do we and the financial people speak the same language? Because if you focus about sustainability as a way to make money, uh, and, and yes, sustainable is being able to make some money because that's how you plant vineyards and pay salaries. However, the goal of uh, you know preserving the planet and preserving these traditions of winemaking has to be present at all moments. And and the other thing that to me is 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 very difficult about this financial analysis of sustainability is that in different countries you have different situations. So for example, you know in Argentina we don't have any incentives for solar or wind energy because and and actually there's a subsidy for uh, gasoline, so that's really inexpensive. So. If I want to put solar panels, it's a huge investment and I have to decide, am I doing solar panels or am I building more houses for the people who live in the vineyards, uh, who have been working for our family for 20 years? Or, you know, or am I planting a vineyard in a new location because there's little water in this location? And, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, understanding, you know, the sort of the, what's behind the money and, and, and thinking it you know, in, in terms of saving the earth. And at the same time, really, you know, the think global, act local, you know, a, a person in Sweden needs to understand a person in Argentina and a person in Argentina needs to understand a person in South Africa or in France. You know, how do we get to do this? I think Erica is very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree that it's difficult. And I remember actually when, when that Stanford event happened uh, to you and you were kind of, you were kind of, uh, sad that they would turn sustainability, which is, uh, you know, really about saving the earth and the people uh, into financial metrics. And here I come from from the other side. I mean, that's that's how I got into sustainability, um, because uh, my, my father was an environmental activist and journalist, and it really has mattered to me. But the language that I found to communicate it, um, when, when I found ways to communicate to the financial markets, that that was, that was really interesting to me that I went to um, to a uh, an excellent excellent class on ESG, um, so environmental, uh, social, and governance. Just ESG is basically what um, the financial markets are calling sustainability or uh, CSR. That's the, the new term. Um, and I went to an ESG class uh, at Berkeley Law with a professor called Amelia Miasad, and it, it was a very it was eye opening to me because. 
it bridged this need for the financial markets to make a profit with the needs we have as a society to, to care for these big questions of carbon, uh, water, climate change, and, um, and the social, social justice. And for me now, I, as I'm going through these processes, working through our company, looking for sustainability projects or sustainability improvements, a lot of them actually turn into financial improvements. If I, if I find uh, technology that saves water, well, that also saves water cost and the cost of pumping water and, and so on. And same if, if I look for energy improvements, energy efficiencies, um, we, we, save, um, we save money from using less energy. So it's, it does make for a, more, for a stronger company from a corporate standpoint. So I understand that you know you can invest, you can be an investor and be interested in investing in a sustainable company from the let's say the goodness of your heart that that's where you want your money placed. You you find this an important topic, or you could just not care and just want to look for really well-run companies. And I would say that companies that work a lot with sustainability will be well well-run because of this way of looking through profits. And what I have with time, <laughs> what I have started feeling is that there's no problem in that because the end result is the same. So if, if you're investing in, in companies just for the profit, but it actually has the effect of um, you know, better salaries for the employees, better trainings for the employees, better, you know, more water saving or, or a lower carbon footprint, I just, I think that's great. <laughs> but um, I think but we, I mean, that, that you're, you're um, to me, um, you know, you're putting it all together, uh, but there's many, there's many instances where it's not so obvious that the that the thing to help sell, help the climate is the one that makes you money. For sure, there are some situations. Let's say, you know, you turn off the lights in your house. That's good for your pocket and also good for the environment. Wonderful. Let's do it. So those are the perhaps the easy decisions that many people are not doing that. Yes, that must yeah. be done. However, some of these um, undertakings on behalf of uh, climate change and helping the planet require very big investments that might not pay off uh, for 20, 30 years. So it's, you know, for, for, you know, let's say a small family winery to make such an investment, you know, would be, uh, you know, crazy because, you know, uh, you cannot justify it financially. And so I think that, yes, there are some things that uh, are clearly the right thing to do and we need to all collaborate on doing it. I think there's other things that are more difficult. And one of the things that you and I spoke about is packaging. So, you know, there is this big move to move to, to lighter uh, bottles. You know, we have this uh, bottle, it's, it's under uh, 400 grams for a, a wine that's natural wine, no sulfites, organic grapes, uh, you know, it sells for around, um, you know, a retail price of, of 20 euros, uh, you know, wonderful wine. But when you talk about the luxury segment, and we have wines in that segment, uh, I want to show something that I that I was given, uh, and, and don't be jealous, it, look at this, Louis Cairns. So this is a cognac that comes in this fantastic box. I mean, if you get this box, like, you know, for me, I, I, I spend my money on wine, not on, on clothes. Sorry for the Italians there. I, I like, I like to, to look at people in Italy. They look so good, but I'd like to spend my money on wine. And th this is the box here. 
that it comes in beautiful 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 and then here you open and you get this fantastic cognac you know very very luxury very very heavy and you know i, I have i finished the cognac but i'm still saving it and i show it to friends and i've derived a lot of pleasure from this box and this bottle and yes so many special moments with people they come to my house i i give them this this cognac that is so phenomenal um and and i say okay so if i didn't have all this the experience would be lesser and you know what is the carbon footprint of this it's quite high uh yeah. but you know is that the right thing to do for this producer you know i think that it's part of the experience so so what are your thoughts on that erica are you enjoying this podcast there is so much more high quality wine content available from mama jumbo shrimp check out our new wine study maps our books on italian wine including italian wine unplugged the jumbo shrimp guide to italian wine sangiovese lambrusco and other stories and much much more on our website mamajumboshrimp.com now back to the show I think uh, going back to the sustainable wine roundtable, one one thing that um, was quite uh, prominent as a, a problem when I went through uh, the global uh, sustainability certifications is that a lot of them do not include packaging, and the glass bottle makes up about thirty percent, thirty percent of a wine's total carbon footprint, and I think the Swedish Monopoly uh, just released a study that that showed that. Um, for them, for the Swedish market, the life cycle analysis of a wine bottle, the packaging and the transportation is together 90%. So only 10% actually comes from the vineyard and winery, which is, is not a lot. So we have to include packaging. If we're going to work with science-based metrics, we have to include the packaging. And one of the key things is then if we want to stay with glass bottles, and there are advantages to glass bottles, um, I think over uh, over alternative packaging such as Tetra Pak, uh, bag in box, uh, aluminum cans. All the, all those have a lower carbon footprint for sure. Um, they might have other drawbacks, but if we say that we want to work with glass, we have to reduce the weight of the packaging. The problem is exactly what you're saying: the the luxury experience of a heavy bottle and the consumer's perception of quality connected to the bottle weight but i really believe um the key thing is picking your <laughs> picking your battles picking your bottles here if um i mean uh, um jackson family wines is is the, a winery group uh, most of you know it it's they're out of california based out of california as well and they work a lot with sustainability and they took their two biggest brands uh la crema and jackson family wines they're huge brands in the u.s um, and reduce the bottle weight. And they reduce it by three ounces per bottle on average, which is about, ooh, let's see here. <laughs> I wish the Americans worked in, in the metric system, but it's less than a hundred gram change uh, per bottle, if I remember correctly. And that gave them a carbon footprint reduction for the entire company of 4%. So the entire big corporation reduced their carbon footprint by 4% by doing this change. And it wasn't that they went to lightweight bottles, they went to lighter weight bottles. Um, 
and they didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell, they didn't tell the buyers. They didn't tell the press. They didn't tell consumers and they had no change in their sales figures. And in the process, they actually saved uh, almost a million dollar in glass, glass costs buying the, the lighter weight class. So I think finding the right wines to make the change for, and, and I think a lot of times those are the under $20 wines. Um, if you can find a nice looking bottle that is lighter, you will have a big, big impact. And I mean, some of the monopolies, including um, the Scandinavian ones and the Canadian ones, are looking at making that mandatory. And they, um, they do have a preference for it. Yeah, already in, in Canada, there's some mandatory weight of bottles. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I agree with you, Erica, that it's not so simple. There are some settings where you can make a big change by just making the decision uh, and it works. Uh, but you said this very clearly. You said they didn't tell anybody and it went well. But that's because they did it at a certain price point. You know, they didn't do it to, to this uh, beautiful thing. Uh, and so no. I think that that's where the sustainable wine roundtable is so important because it's connecting, you know, the producer to the person buying the wine and selling the wine, uh, of which there's many in the group. Uh, because I think that until we really explain to the consumer all these concepts, you know, me as a consumer, I'm in the business, I understand this, I I really love this, you know, and, and I think I've gotten so much use out of this one packaging by sharing it with friends and, you know, and and it's not like I'm buying one very often. This was a gift, you know. And so, uh, you know, what is the, the carbon footprint of that, um, you know, compared to, to everything that happens around it? Uh, and so I think that um, we need education of the consumer so that the consumer can decide that they want lighter bottles or they want, uh, you know, they don't want any more wooden boxes for fine wine. I mean, all the Grand Cru's are still in wooden boxes. If we're making a wine in Argentina that we want to sell at a similar price and we don't put it in a wood box, you know, then the consumer perceives it as lesser, which already it's hard to compete with, you know, the Grand Cru's. Uh, so I think that um, this education and thinking of how we, we connect to the consumer and, and the consumer is very tired of what they call greenwashing. You know, they're tired of, of hearing from people that in the end just want to make money. And so I think it's very important that we be very honest, very methodical and very science-based on, on what we're saying. And uh, this is why sustainability certifications are so important. The one we started in Argentina is very scientific. You have to show the data. You are inspected uh, by an, an official agent. Um, but I think we need to go even beyond that to share information. Because, for example, right now, something very important that we are working on is... Um, carbon sequestration, you know, most vineyards uh, sequester all the carbon that they generate in terms of shipping and bottles and all these things you were talking about that, you know, 30% is the bottles. But actually, if you did the math on how much carbon a vineyard between cover crops, and that's where a vineyard with cover crops is much better for the environment than a vineyard without. So that's where you can even make an argument for organic farming that's very biodiversity conscious. Um, you know, you have this, this uh, carbon sequestration, but actually making the calculations is very uh, expensive. You need to bring experts, you need to do a lot of uh, measurements. What small winery would be able to do this? You know, so I, I actually think that um, what, what we should we need to do at the, at the Sustainability Roundtable is also get um, different sized wineries together to present the problems they have and then find some solutions where uh, 
things can be shared. At the Gabina Institute, uh, we do a lot of research. We've been around since 1995, and everything is shared because it's published with the rest of the industry in Argentina. And we provide services even for things like virus testing to other wineries. Um, so I think it's very important that, yes, we have to think of making money because otherwise, you know, we can't pay salaries, we can't last. But sometimes we will have to collaborate with our competitors. Uh, even as, if usually we're trying to win to be number one, we need to collaborate. Because if we don't share this, uh, this knowledge on how to uh, address climate change and how to address so many challenges, uh, you know, maybe we won't be making wine the way we are now in 100 years. Yeah, I, I, there's two things in what you just said that I think are key. One is the science-based metrics. We, we have to, uh, as a global wine industry, we have to agree on what the key metrics are. If, if we look at our industry, where do we have the biggest impact on environment and people? And where does environment and people have the biggest impact on us? These are, this is what we call a materiality analysis in, in, in the financial uh, on the ESG side, but we have to do that for the industry. We've done it in lots of places, but we have to do it as a global industry as well. And we have to set uh, the science-based metrics for, for the most important things. And then we have to streamline that so we can compare it uh, globally, but also so that individual producers don't have to report one way to one buyer, another way to another buyer, a third way to their certification program. Um, a fourth way to their investors so that we have, you know, we've decided on how to calculate these things. And that process, I think, a lot run, runs into what you're saying about the bigger, the bigger producers. We have, um, we have a responsibility and an opportunity vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, uh, the industry. We can actually do test things and tell the medium-sized and smaller producers what works and what doesn't work. If, if I if I implement a um, uh, a program, let's say I, I implement a program for carbon sequestration, maybe I collaborate with a university. I mean, our group has a full time person working on sustainability. Not everybody can can have that, um, but we can share that knowledge because sustainability work is pre competitive. Anything that benefits, or pretty much anything <laughs> that benefits me as a company. Um, it benefits me even more if my competitors do it as well. If we're looking at water, for example, if we find ways to save, uh, save and reuse water, um, then it does. It, it, it's not going to be enough if everybody else who works on the same aquifer or groundwater table don't. So it's yeah. better that I share. Um, it's better for, mm -hmm. for us as a company, but it's also better for us as an industry. And we're all very sensitive to climate change. We're kind of a canary in the coal mine. We're going to be affected by climate change much quicker than a lot of other crops are. So we might as well just um, all... Erica, I think what you said about collaboration with uh, uh, researchers is so important. At the Catena Institute, we collaborate locally, but also we've collaborated with researchers in France, in the uh, United States, and Australia. Mm. And honestly, collaboration to me is the real answer to a lot of these things. But as you said, you know, it's not easy for a winery to fund a research program within their winery. You know, for us, this is something that we've been doing for a long time. We have it incorporated into our costs. Uh, but the way to incorporate, to, to incorporate a research person is by doing 
a research with, with an academic at a university where there's also some government funding. Uh, you know, Europe has really good funding for uh, agricultural research. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that the key to the future will be to connect with academics. And I think that that's where there are issues that academics speak a certain language. It's, it's like what I found when I was talking to the finance people, they spoke a different language mm -hmm. than I did. I think we have a similar situation between academics in uh, farming, in winemaking all over the world, and wine producers. And I think that our model of what we've been able to do at Catina in Argentina is a model that I, I want to share all over the world because uh, I think it can work. And for sure, for example, there's an organization called Inno One that's uh, run uh, by many people by the University of Bordeaux. And they have a lot of really great producers in France collaborating on research and sharing research. And so I think that, you know, there have to be groups like that forming all over the world because then you have somebody that knows how to do research. Because if you do your own research and you do it wrong, you come to the wrong conclusion. And then, you know, that's a disaster. So I really urge uh, everybody who might be listening who's a producer to you know, just go talk to your local university, ask them what kind of research they're doing, if you can join in with some data. And I think that wineries of any size could contribute to research projects that are ran by their local universities. And, you know, you could even collaborate across continents. Uh, we're doing a Pinot Noir uh, project right now with the University of Burgundy, where they are studying the behavior of Pinot Noir across the world. And they have a site in California, you know, in Germany, in France, in Argentina. And it's just fascinating to to look at one variety all over the world. And we are learning so much, and I think they are too. And it, and it's it's really fantastic. And so I really urge people to do more of that. So, I, I agree with that. I, I think yeah. um, in a way, those of us who work with with sustainability have to become translators. I mean, both you and I have science uh, backgrounds. You're a medical doctor. I have a, a, a master's degree in medical biology. But we've also worked in wine. I'm making a Pinot Noir right now. You're going to have to try it. Yes, <laughs> um, I would like to. And I've also worked in, in, in finance. But we've become translators between these languages to show that we, we're actually very often looking for the same results. We just use different different ways to communicate to get there. And the communication, I, I think, will be one of the key things with the Sustainable Wine Roundtable because we... We will bring our research and our knowledge of what it takes to produce wine to this dialogue we will have with. So, so uh, just to say, sustainable wine roundtable. Some of the um, some of the um, retailers that are already members, apart from the Scandinavian monopolies who were really early on, and 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 for example, Sustainbolag and the Swedish monopoly are open to sharing their research that they're doing. I mean, they have, I think they have eight people uh, employed full-time for sustainability or something. Yeah. There's a whole they, You know, what's fantastic about them is that they've taken the time to analyze every code in every country yeah. and, and decide, is this a sustainable code? Uh, yeah. But I don't think many other, uh, you know, buyers have that that kind of no and, and they can actually share it then with so we have weight roast uh, was an early member whole foods is also a founding yeah. member Lidl is a founding member um they will also be able to share between them what they're what they're doing and and start streamlining how they're asking for sustainability reporting from from um the producers so in this way and we all i mean the the group even has journalists so jancisrobinson.com is is a member is a founding member of the sustainable wine roundtable 
And that means we have the whole chain from early production. We have uh, materials producers. Uh, we have the wine producers. We have the importers. We have retailers. Uh, I... And, and, and I know that the group is interested in collaborating with other organizations. We have um, the International Wineries for Climate Action are members of the group. Um, and I, I just I see this as the necessary next step for the wine industry. We need to find the common common denominators and, and make our message clearer. I have worked in, uh, just like you, with sustainability for a long time now. I even left the wine industry for a few years to work with food because I felt like things weren't happening fast enough in wine. We weren't, we were behind, we have been behind food, but so much is happening in wine sustainability in the last couple of years. Um, and and this, this new speed and this new organization, um, I can't help being very excited about where it will take us in a, in a few years. So very, very happy well, that you are a member. Well. <laughs> I love Thank our time. I, I, I look forward to continuing this discussion. I think we, we're exactly at uh, 30 minutes. Yes. And uh, that was really fun. Oh, let's see. I don't think I see any questions. Let's see. Questions in the card chat. Let me see what we have here. Oh, because, oh, okay. Here's a question. Oh, maybe the comments. Let's see. Uh, when we talk about sustainability, transparency, infometrics, what is the degree of responsibility that the government of each country should have, should uh, be a standardized measure? I mean, my answer to that is, um, you know, the, the government should be responsible, but that's not happening. And so and the only way to talk to the government is by voting. And we have one vote per person which is fantastic democracy you know i i've lived in a military government so i i believe in democracy so i think that the government needs to establish criteria for their country but again you know we have uh you know some of the richer countries produce four to five times more carbon emissions for example argentina uh, produces per capita 25 percent of the carbon emissions of the united states so there is a lot of unfairness already in the world with some of the of the wealthier countries producing so many more so much more carbon than than you know other you know countries in developing uh, in the developing world. So I don't think we can tell the government what to do. So uh, that's why uh, you know I think we need to get together as producers and figure out the metrics and share it with other producers and then hope that the government will see what we're doing and take it seriously. Like, for example, the System Bolage, which is a government institution. Also in Canada, there's some monopolies who are putting it in, into law, but most of the world does not have these kinds of government buyers. And that's great because, you know, every country chooses their, their system. And so I think that, um, I don't think we're going to get be able to get the, the government to do much more than maybe give um, incentives for solar and wind. I think that's very, very important. And the more the governments do that, uh, the better. But again, you know, it's you cannot tell the government what to do. You can just um, vote. Yeah, I, I really don't think that the metrics for the wine industry will fall on governments. I think the industry itself is 
the industry itself is going to be responsible for agreeing on, on the metrics and the standardized measures. However, I believe that the government should be the incentivizing um, the practices that that improve these metrics. So, so especially, especially maybe on carbon and water. Um, and I also want to say that the Sustainable Wine Roundtable will not replace the local uh, sustainability certification programs. We we want to work with all those programs and maybe set a, a, an international global benchmark for those programs to to look at, so they they can see. Okay, well, the Sustainable Wine Roundtable says that packaging is really important, needs to be included. We're not including it. We will look at that, um, but we're not going to take away the the local programs because they need it, it needs to be local as well to have a, an understanding of local needs, um, local needs and conditions and, and priorities. Um, we have, I mean, there's, there's a few global questions that span everywhere. And but then, you know, water is more important in some places, less important in some places. Forced labor is an important question in some places, not so important in other places. Um, there's a question, Erica, about Racha, and I don't know the answer. Racha is uh, I'm guessing with uh, my group, um, they, does Russia take part in your activities in that group? Any wineries? No, there are no there are no Russian wineries that I know of. There, I don't think there are any Russian members of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable. Uh, in at the beginning of next year, when we open up to general membership, we would love to have um, we would have love to have Russian members. Uh, Laura and I are are also active in a um, um, a women's group in wine with the female female leaders in in wine that we've been in for uh, a while, and uh, I know that one of our Russian members is actually part of uh, um, this conference as well. So we have we have ties to Russia. Maybe we should invite <laughs> invite her as well. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names in case she doesn't want to be in it. <laughs> great, great. But uh, yeah. So I, I think that we are, aren't we supposed to finish at 8.30, Erica? The presentation, yeah. We have, we, have, um, we have a couple more minutes in case anybody has any questions. Okay, okay, very good. Very um, good. Not, not right now. So, yeah, I just, uh, I just I want to say that, that um, if anybody is interested in the financial side of... of um, sustainability reporting, I, I do recommend reading up on it. Right now, it's mainly investors who care. And, and I used to work in finance before. I fell in love with, um, I fell in love with the wine while I was working as a biotech uh, equities analyst. In, so I was in the financial industry and just left everything and, and went into wine because wine has a tendency to do that to people. Um, and back then, nobody cared about sustainability. And now it's on every every earnings call. Every um, big group of, of investors has some sort of policy on it. BlackRock, which is, has often been painted as the the big wolf in the in the in the investment industry, are doing great things in pushing their companies to become more sustainable, uh, report more clearly. Greenwashing is there's there's no room for greenwashing anymore. We can't base our sustainability communication purely in storytelling anymore. There needs to be measurements. And one thing that keeps being repeated by um, um, around this topic is what you, you can control, what you can measure. So you have to 
measure things. You can't just say, we did this and this and this, and that should be good. You have to measure where are we starting and we made these changes. Where did that take us? Here's our goal. This is how far we got along our lines for our goal. We, uh, and, it becomes a, an antidote to greenwashing, let's put it that way. And Eric, I think that today, uh, for sure, it's important to uh, be able to uh, explain your sustainability program in, in a quantified way. Uh, you know, we use GRI reporting, uh, and uh, it's really uh, a demand for many of the wine buyers around the world. Yeah. Uh, I think that the consumer interest uh, or understanding of sustainability is very varied according to country, according to product, uh, and that's you know, big job that we have uh, out there, uh, because I, I disagree with you about the greenwashing not being there. I think there's a lot oh, no, no, it's of, there, but there, there, there's, you know, there's less and less room for it. It's definitely there. I, I think that, that a lot of consumers are so tired of, of hearing these these words uh, yeah. that, that, you know, for example, a lot of them just believe in, you know, are you organic certified? And I understand the consumer, you know, they, they want to see it on the label. They want to see proof. This is why we also put our sustainability certification uh, mm -hmm. on the label. If we have farmed the vineyards organically, we put that on the label. But I think that um, there's so much more place for education of the consumer on what these things are. And I see still a very big issue, this, uh, the, the smaller producer. I, I don't think you can ask a smaller producer uh, to do all these metrics. Uh, you know, in Argentina, 50% of the producers own less than five hectares. You know, that's less than 10, 10 acres. That, that's, a, you know, that's, that's a lot smaller than, you know, in, 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 the, in the rest of the Americas in North America. You know, I don't know what the numbers are in Europe. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these producers, you know, they, they have really urgent needs to do with climate again, you know, with, with, with climate uh, problems. And I think yeah. that that's where uh, that question about the government, I, I do think that the government has a role to perhaps help spread information. And that can be done through some of the academic institutions, many of which are public. So I, I do think that there is a, a role for the government. And I think it's quite urgent that something happen. Yeah, I think help, helping the um, smaller producers make these calculations in the easiest possible way um, is also part of the responsibility of organizations like the Roundtable. So I, yeah. I think we can get far with that. Now I think we're out of time. Yeah, okay. Lovely talking with you as always. Very good. Everybody in Italy enjoys the conference. Next time I want to come live, I really, yeah. really love it, Verona. Thank you so yeah. much. Okay, thank you. Grazie mille. Gracias. Ciao. See you all in Italy sometime soon, I hope. Or in Argentina. Come to Argentina. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net.
guys, I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.